Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. This is a episode number 299 of the Nonprofit Exchange. We've been having these fascinating interviews for eight years, and we keep finding people that have different messages, and today is no exception. It's so my guest today is Link Kroger, coming in from Des Moines, Iowa, and um, he's worldwide. He's actually going to, if you're watching the video, he's out in space but not really. So he's got a very special message. So Link, tell people a little bit about who you are and why do you do the work that you're doing? Yeah. Hi, to you and thanks for having me on today. And um, it's a pleasure. So yeah, I'm, I'm Link. So I grew up in a little uh, small town, rural town. And uh, you know, that always impacts your values wherever you grow up in your, your context. But um, you know, I do what I do because I have a passion um, to help other people, right? We're all called and to, to how do we help those who are thirsty, have a drink, widows and orphans. And um, um, my overall mission of, of Night Moves is unleashing digital innovation to solve society's biggest problems. All right, that's what we're, that's what we're focused on. And, um, and thanks for put, put, putting that out there. Um, but my passion is, again, this, if you look at, you know, and I am in the tech industry, so, you know, I know it's a sci-fi kind of background for me, but it's my reminder every day as I come in my office that uh, my mission is on earth as it is in heaven, right? So if it's not in heaven, it shouldn't be on earth. And if it's uh, in heaven, it should be on earth, right? So that's all of our mission is, I think, in life. You know, there are especially people in, in maybe, I'm a little older than you, my age bracket, but our age bracket that just say, I don't get technology. I don't want to have anything to do with it. When in fact, technology is here and it's a necessary component. So unpack that title a little bit, please. Unleashing digital innovation to solve society's biggest problems. Yeah. So two areas here of, of society's biggest problems. One is our overall program. The first aspect of what we do is we have a uh, training program and we're community-based um, that is our graduates are better prepared than a four-year computer science graduate, right? So, um, and they finish our program by the time they're totally done with it with no debt. So that's uh, in itself and our focus is on rural Native American and urban underserved communities, right? So imagine being 20 years old, starting a job, making 60,000 a year plus and having no debt, right? That, that's our mission in these underserved communities. The second is what we use for training for these individuals is, and they have a set of prerequisites they complete before they come to our program. But in our program, they join a real world team where they're creating real technology solutions, the same way that Google would create. If you work for Google, you're going to be creating, uh, or, you know, think of any modern high tech or fortune 500 company, the way they create tech is the way we create tech. Uh, but for six months, you're going to spend creating technology, advancing, um, social issues, you know, social benefiting. So imagine we're creating, instead of, you know, like an Uber solution or an Airbnb technology solution, we're creating solutions in support of human, you know, human trafficking or um, homelessness or ending hunger, right? So the, the, our, our, our students get to be part of contributing towards society of solving real problems, but it also gives them, you know, we're not classroom based, we're not instructor based. So they, they're in an environment that's real, right? When they're working with other human beings that, that 
their technology they're creating, they're working with the people it's going to impact, right? Because, you know, when you go to college and you do your homework or you write a software program and give it to your instructor or your professor, you know, they grade it and throw it away. So there's not a lot of heart in it. But if you knew your solution and you're working with those people um, that it was going to impact, you'd have a totally different perspective of engagement on what you're doing and the fact you're actually creating something that's going to work and make the world better. So that's that's really the two areas where we make the world a better place is the people we focus on, on including them into a career in technology and also on the solutions we create to advance nonprofit and public benefiting causes. Wow, wow, that's a whole lot of stuff to get my head around. So if you're watching this episode or listening to it on a podcast, you can go to where you listen to your podcast or go to the website, <laughs> thenonprofitexchange.org and you'll find a full transcript Gripped, so you can grab those those many sound bites that are coming by your whizzing by your ears. So let's pick a, a, an example so we can kind of get into how this works. So I've got a nonprofit. I'm just let's create a hypothetical. There's a lot of nonprofits that do this. We're feeding people. We're ending hunger in our neighborhood. So why I don't have time to think about technology. Why should I even pay attention to this? Um, well, one is, if you, let's say you had a big idea, right? So if you're someone who's been focused on homelessness or, you know, hunger is you go, you know what, if, if these organizations, and I don't mean just regionally, right, like with a local, but something that could have, you know, a larger, broader impact, or you had an idea that mm -hmm. uh, if there was just this technology in place and it enabled disparate nonprofits to work together or just some solution, right? And, and again, I'll kind of point back to Uber. If you think about Uber, you know, you create a technology that lets people who own cars timeshare, you know, sell their ability to go drive around, pick people up. But that technology is that enabling piece. If you had that idea of how could, you know, like the cure for cancer, but with technology, you know, go to our website and suggest that idea of, hey, here's a, a great solution that we could implement. Yeah, I've been thinking about this for 10 years, you might say. Well, great, share it with us and maybe we'll go build it. Give me an example. Some some uh, Uber was one example, but in terms of yeah. community-based, um, cause-based charity well, that feeds people, housing people, or whatever. Yeah, let's talk about um, disaster relief. So an example is we met with um, we we met with um, leaders in the international disaster relief space. Meaning, let's say there's a hurricane or tsunami, you know, earthquake. And they're the first feet on the street, right? And, you know, FEMA and, and government agencies, they respond, but nonprofits are the first to, to respond to, to disaster, right? So we asked them, we said, hey, what are your biggest challenges when, you're, when you land, right? When you get there, when, you know, because, you know, you can't plan for a disaster. You don't know when it's going to happen or where. You just show up and you've got an approach at how you do it. And we said, what are your biggest challenges? What are the biggest opportunities? And a few areas they shared with us were, well, one is, you know, when we show up, there's always multiple nonprofits who show up and we're trying to go door to door to make sure everybody was okay after this earthquake, right? Well, how is it that three nonprofits show up and we all show up at the same house, right? Instead of spreading out. So could you create a tool for us where we could actually show each other like on our phones where we're going to take this neighborhood, you can take this one, we'll take this one. And then also as things start opening like gas stations or, um, you know, restaurants or hospitals, right, that you on the map can say, hey, this just opened because that level of visibility would be super helpful in our recovery. Um, another example they gave was 40% of all supplies, this is what they told us, 40% of all supplies that get shipped in response to international disasters 
disappears, never makes it to the recipient. So um, yeah, is that, and in the United States, I've heard it's as high as 20% for US-based, but international is 40%, right? You ship four bottles, 10 bottles of water, six show up, where did the four go? And so we'd sit down with them in root cause and say, hey, you know, where do these, where do you think they went? How do we fix it? And we designed a solution that once that gets put out there, um, they believe is going to eliminate a great amount of that waste which I could talk about that solution, but that that's just some examples of, of, of what we could build with technology. And so um, you do that through night moves? That's correct. And night moves like the chess piece, not like the Bob Seger song. Not like the Bob Seger song. Just, just pay attention here, folks. So I'm going to, for people watching, I'll show the, uh, the screen. If you um, aren't watching, it's night, K-N-I-G-H-T, moves m-o-v-e-s dot org and so um when they go to that website what would they see and then i want to talk about how this is different i gather your education is in coding is that is that it yeah software yep coding software development um well just kind of span it across the top there uh if you look at services so part of what we do is we are a consulting company that does technology services for businesses and that's um, that does two things for us. One is we started Night Moves as a nonprofit, but we just found there was, you know, our attorneys just kept telling us, hey, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. So it's like, okay, well, you're telling us all the things we can't do as a nonprofit. So we flipped it to a social benefiting limiting profit model. Um, um, like, for example, let's say a specific company wanted us to do training for them. Um, you know, as a nonprofit, you can only do things that benefit an industry, not a specific company. So, um, we, we flipped this to a model, but the, the nice thing is now we're not fundraising anymore because as we do our services for companies, the profits we make from that are what fund our philanthropic mission. So if you click on services later, you can see, hey, here's the kind of technology services we do. The communities tab, if you want to spend any time there, we can. The communities tab is once again, we're, we're very community centric, right? Meaning if you think about a rural community, Native American, you know, um, inner city, right? Urban underserved. We, we want to be there and be creating 15, 25 jobs a year, right? Every year in that, in that, in that community. Um, and if you, if you go into this, you can see, well, what kind of communities do we look for that are ideal matches? And you can, we have all the detail in there. And if you go, geez, I think my community would be a good match. We're rural Native American or, you know, inner city urban area. Um, you can click contact us and say, hey, we, we're a good match. Um, careers, so that would be any positions we have open that we're hiring, which would be almost predominantly technologists that would go do services for our clients and that would guide our own students through, um, through um, you know, for them to learn technology. And then problem hunter, and that's where if you have your big idea on, you know, how do we, um, what's, what's a social innovation that technology would advance, you can come here and, you know, there's, this isn't like Shark Tank where you can make money on it, right? You're donating your idea to, to make the world a better place. But if you suggest it, we'll assess it and say, hey, that's a great idea. Let's, let's go build that. And if we transition it to a nonprofit, you know, we don't charge them for it. We would, we would just build that as an activity for our students to learn how to be enterprise technologists and commercial technologists. So that's the, the philanthropy, philanthropy you've been talking about. Yep, that's that's you know creating the solutions and then also our community focus on at-risk youth and, and underserved communities and helping them, you know, create an economic engine of creep, you know, and if you look at rural and uh, Native American also, how do you keep your young population there? Which 
by the way, I'll, I'll share, since you have a faith-based, um, you know, audiences, like I can share that like in rural communities, a big aspect that, that the, the, the faith-based organizations are, are really important for is, you know, today, if you're in a rural community, you, um, your residents, when they graduate high school, almost exclusively leave, right? And they go college or someplace else for jobs. Uh, a big aspect is we've got to create a sense of community for these 20-year-olds, right? You don't have a lot of 20, 25-year-olds in your community. And the faith-based network should be a big part of, right? Because, you know, you know, urban areas have a college and career ministry, right? You don't see that too much in rural because you don't have a college and career age group. So, you know, getting your ministry to think, hey, I'm going to start having people that are 20, 21, 25 years old, you know, stay local. How do we, how do we help serve them and be, feel that they're part of a community? And that's really key, right? Because if you have somebody who's 20 years old and who doesn't feel they're part of a community, they're, they're still going to leave. So it's, we can do education, we can bring the jobs, but the community still got to step up and be a place that people want to live in, um, in that age group. Just there's a lot of ideas and questions percolating in my mind. So um, you've got, um, we've, we've got cause-based charities that are trying to impact people's lives. And we have a mission, there's a problem, we provide services and we impact people's lives so they have better life. So there's, um, in 1.6 million charities in America, we have plenty of people doing different things. I think one of the the things I see that limit people's ability to fulfill their mission is their their lack of ability to think, well, nonprofit's not a philosophy, it's a tax classification. So we think in these scarcity terms, but we also don't think that we are a business. We are a business. We're a, we're a, a 501c tax exempt for purpose enterprise. We don't make profits. We, we create proceeds to fuel fuel the car that we build basically the strategy and the work we have to we have to fund it so and you got so the other thing is that's in that mix is the boards of our organizations are are populated with at least some business leaders in the community so i would think getting their heads together about the big idea would be something that the leader and the board would discuss and it would would bring in some expertise. So talk about business models and how how people get their act together so that you could actually help them create the technology. What precedes that, basically, is what I'm asking. Um, well, one is, you know, if you think about innovation and you look at how Silicon Valley does it, right? I mean, they have a, they call it, you know, I'll call it lean startup, right? Or, or lean innovation where, you know, it's, it's, it's very simple, right? It's, 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 it's what's something of value we could do in a short term that when we release that value, we could learn from it. And then after we learn from it, we, they, it's called PPK, right? You pivot, persevere, or kill, meaning, okay, we tried something of value and we learned, wow, that is valuable. It did work. Let's persevere and do it deeper. Or you go, you know what? It just didn't turn out like I thought it would. Let's pivot this and try a little different something and alter it. Or you just kill it and go, okay, nice idea, but it's just not going to work. But, you know, real innovation is doing that 500 times, a thousand times, right? Where what's my next step? What's valuable that I can do? Learn from it. And you just keep going down it, right? And not overthinking things and not overanalyzing, um, but learning and getting feedback, right? Discovering. So that, that's the first thing I would say is, you know, if you're going to sit in a committee in a room and talk about things for six months, 
you know, go out and try some things, right? Hey, what's something valuable we could do in our community? And, and it, but then be willing to adjust it based on what you learn. So that'd be my first suggestion. And that's really, if you look at what my perspective, what really that, that mentality is what powers Silicon Valley and, you know, how they, why they're so innovative. There's a lot of reasons, but that, that one element of what they do is so powerful. So as you were talking, brains stirring up questions that, you know, give you hard questions now. Um, so we can use software to do something like coordinate the, the trip. We're, we're going to on a mission trip. We're going to do good for people. We're going somewhere. So it helps coordinate the activity. So um, I would think that technology could also be time saver, labor saver, um, you could leverage it in, in that way. Talk about that aspect of technology. Uh, yeah, well, definitely. So, you know, generally when companies do projects, it's because they either want to improve efficiencies, which includes doing things faster, right? Or it's about, they just need some new capability and that new capability releases some potential because what software really does is it releases a potential exist if you could create an order and a structure around it and let people integrate, right? Because, you know, whatever tool you look at, it's um, it's really not necessarily doing something new. It's taking what already exists and puts order and integration around it, right? It releases a potential that's there. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question well there, Hugh, but. Uh, um, basically what I see happening is there's a high percentage of burnout across the board. Now, our bulk of our audience is just generic nonprofits that are doing good work. We do have some clergy of all faiths, but the common denominator is there's a high level of burnout. And it's not just from pandemic. It, uh, before the pandemic, one of the surveys showed that 45% of nonprofit leaders were leaving because they were just flat burned out. So I'm thinking we we suffer from people don't know things, so there's a lack of communication. We don't have the the go ahead for strategy, so people can check in. This is what we're doing, so we're coordinating. Because when you have business people on your board and they're in a project, they don't want to waste their time. They want to give their efforts and fulfill their passion for creating results. So around the the coordinating efforts, around the communication efforts. Is is that a place that we underutilize technology, and it and it penalizes us? Well, you know, I'd say let's you know take one step back too and go, you know, the reasons that people are getting out is it, you know, is it they they're not paid a lot, right? And there's probably a large combination of reasons, right? It's pay, it's not feeling fulfilled because they're not making an impact, it's bureaucracy, it's you know all these different you know these different aspects, but. Let's just step back and go, what's your best day, right? It's when you really make your impact. So I'd say, let's step back and say, you know, what's the benefit of what you're doing? And this is the rule of innovation. It's called jumping the curve is, is you know, and, and by the way, you know, if you look at any major innovation out there, I know we've talked Uber, Airbnb, Amazon, right? But innovation, disruptive innovations almost never, ever come from, the industries that dominate them, right? Like you'd think Marriott would have developed Airbnb or, you know, Sears, Walmart, JCPenney, Target would have came up with Amazon, right? You know, taxis got totally disrupted with Uber, right? Didn't come from that industry. But it's people saying, you know, what's the benefit 
and how could we do that benefit differently, right? And it's one of the reasons right now too, education's not being very disruptive because because the new ways of looking at things may actually be a negative of what they have today and could disrupt themselves, right? Because, you know, if you bring in some new approach of doing it, you could disrupt your own organization and nobody wants to do that. So I'd say, you know, what's the benefit of my nonprofit? And then start really focusing on, you know, if we weren't doing anything, what would be the best way to provide that benefit? And, and I think even if you don't change a lot of things, you know, initially by doing that, but at least you're getting, you know, as you're, when you're a little kid, everything's curiosity and learning, right? Once we get older, how do we stay curious and try testing and trial and experimenting? You know, I'd say, you know, because your message there, your theme was around burnout, right? Is how do you keep experimenting and trying and being curious and, and staying a little child, right? And still learning. And, and it's back to that. What's the benefit? Let's take a small approach. Let's try it, see what we learn and, and, uh, and go from there. Ask the question, what's the benefit? Um, we don't do that generally. We uh, talk about what we do. It's not why it's important. And that's a key, that's a key piece to remember. Daniel Hodges is watching and he says, do you partner? We're going to talk about inclusion. You, you talked about serving diverse communities. I'm going to move it to an inclusion, inclusivity conversation. Do you partner with outside organizations for skills training such as accessibility that falls outside traditional IT curricula. We don't think about ADA compliance, which is um, limiting 20, 26% of our population and how important that is. Yeah, what was the, what was the specific question there, Hugh? Um, do you have out experts that help you, uh, this person that asked it is, is blind. Do you have expert in, in making software accessible to people who need big buttons, use a reader that, that, you know, it doesn't read pictures, but it reads the alt tags, you know, things like that, bigger buttons that if you have some site, you can. So basically, um, do you have experts or do you consult with that people outside who uh, have some gifts to tell you whether it uh, it's accessible and inclusive for all of, all of God's people? Yeah, we actually do have a inclusive design expert outside of organization we use that I hope to hire someday, because that's what his focus is of what he does is his user experience and design, but that is entirely inclusive focused and he, he has a very heavy focus, whether it's person in a wheelchair or deaf or, you know, blind or whatever that aspect is, is how do you include and you know, and ideally, someday we would actually love to have our own team of the, our whole inclusive uh, design team would be people with disabilities and people with different, you know, backgrounds so that when we're designing solutions, it's not in theory, it's in, I've lived this for, you know, 20 years. So they're designing from experience versus just their imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a topic I have become acquainted with more and more. Um, it's so once you create some technology for, you mentioned um, sex trafficking, for instance. There are a number of organizations, including Rotary International, um, having initiatives to really fight it. Is there some um, software that's been created that could be shared globally with a whole bunch of, of organizations working on that, that project? There's not, but we would, uh, there's nothing that we've created yet, but we'd love the ideas and what that could be. Um, we have a, a safe house of what they have three or four safe houses now that we're working with to identify what what would those solutions be. 
um, and what could we build? But we'd love to hear the ideas from people. And again, you might just say, well, we don't have an idea on the solution, but here's the biggest opportunities and here's the biggest challenges. And if you just sent us that, that would actually be helpful for us because we can look at those and then innovate that ourselves and look at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, we're, we're trying to find something that's invisible because the traffickers are in our neighborhoods, but they're invisible. And we need to come together and share what we know to be able to uh, put a stop to this horrendous practice. Um, so talk about night moves, K-N-I-G-H-T. It's a chessboard. So how, what was the inspiration for that name and why is that significant? Well, the inspiration is if, if you really look at us moving the needle on social impacting issues, right, and, and diversity and inclusion, we're not moving the needle fast enough by any means, right? Um, especially if you're one of those people affected, it's like, hey, this even happened in my lifetime. So if you play chess, the knight represents that piece that's cape, you know, it's the only piece on the board that moves non-linearly, right? And it can jump over other pieces to get to its destination. So jumping barriers and, and innovatively looking at, hey, how do we solve this, right? That knight's that innovative piece that's, again, you know, most pieces just want to move in a slow linear kind of, you know, like the other uh so that's the representation, right? So how do we get out of the box? How do we jump those barriers? Yeah, it's always the night that surprises me. They come out of left field and I go, oh man, because I'm looking for that direct channel. And sometimes the uh, straight line is not the best pathway to go because you, you, you got some things blocked. So the, uh, the money that's coming from private foundations is not really solving some of the problems we need to solve. Is that right? Yeah, and you know, and here's the the interesting paradox with the foundation. So starting this as a nonprofit, I thought, you know, so we've, you know, if if we were to see what we've done so far the last four years, where this was a genesis from, you'd go, oh my gosh, there's, you know, the chief technology officer of Microsoft wrote a best-selling book, and he had seven pages dedicated to this, right? So I thought that when we flipped it to a nonprofit, that we would get um, all these foundations, you know, just wanting to get behind it, but interestingly we'd meet with these, you know, foundations with a hundred, $200 million of assets. And they'd say, well, we only donate to nonprofits that are at least four years old. And I'd be like, well, tell me something, share with me. Do you, do you see us really making an impact like fast enough on these inclusion areas? And they'd say, well, no, definitely not. We need to go faster. I said, well, explain to me then if you're only going to invest in nonprofits that have been around for four years, if some new solution comes around that's at the at the level of cure cancer, but you wouldn't invest in that because it's less than four years old. So how does anything innovative ever get funded in this system of nonprofits? Because you have to exist four years. So you've got to have somebody individually wealthy supporting it because foundations aren't going to, right? Because that's, go to every foundation, that's their minimum bar. You had to be in operation for four years. Um, and they go, you know, that's a really good point, but that's not what we do. Um, we don't fund innovation in the nonprofit space. Well. So no wonder we're not changing the world faster, right? Because there is no mechanism to, to get innovative ideas into the nonprofit space and fund them, unless you have the, the person who will write the check. We're stuck in an old mindset on both sides of this, aren't we? Yeah, and you know, the other one is on the government side, right? You go for, you know, grants. They have a constraint on the other side is, they say, how many jobs are you gonna create in one year, in two years, and maybe three years? So if you're doing something transformative in the community and you're not showing massive amounts of jobs in the first two, maybe three years, 
and let's say, because like ours is really, it takes about four years to go into community and for it to be transformative. You can never get the federal grant dollars either because they want to see the quick hit. So you have these constraints in these systems that just prohibit anything transformative and anything innovative from ever happening. So I'm hearing two kinds of people should check you out. One is uh, nonprofits that have a good idea and there's a place to put that in, in your website. And then um, what about the student side of this? People can, you said they can get an education and get a good job and not have huge college debt. Talk about that piece of it. Yeah, I would say more the communities. And again, you go to our website, you click communities. If this would sound like if you're rural Native American or urban underserved and say, hey, wow, I'd love to look at potentially getting this in my community. You can go to the website, see the requirements to see if you're a match and then go that way. But we don't approach individual students. It's students in a community once we pair up with that community. And, and one other last note there too is if you're a business leader in an organization, the way we fund everything we do is that you're going to buy, you know, this is a trillion dollar industry we're in of technology services and companies that buy our services instead of us buying bigger yachts for owners, right? That's not our mission here. It's taking the money and putting it in to our philanthropic purpose. So by you considering us to buy the services you're going to buy anywhere in software development, you're going to buy them anyway. But if you do buy them from us, all these things just happen. So if you're a leader of a, you know, typically companies that would buy services in our space are larger than 300 million because otherwise companies just buy packages, right? That are out there. Custom software development is usually larger companies. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, Link, um, it's a whole new area to think about for most of us. And you've opened the door to some fascinating things. So um, anything I didn't ask that you want to share with uh, listeners today? No, I just really appreciate having me on and having a, a dialogue on this. Thank you. That's great. That's great. So Link um, Kroger, and you can find him at Grant, no, <laughs> sorry, Night Moves, K-N-I-G-H-T-M-O-V-E-S dot O-R-G. And you know, there's a lot you can find out when you go there. So Grant Link Kroger. I don't know where Grant's coming from. Link Kroger, thank you so much for being our guest on the Nonprofit Exchange today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.